0: Welcome to NextWorks Innovation Talks. Let our podcast inspire you with inside stories and conversations about
1: innovation. Welcome to the NextWorks Innovation Talks. I'm your host, Laurence van Eelighem, and today I'm very pleased to introduce one of our very own keynote speakers and a partner at NextWorks, Nancy Rademaker. Welcome, Nancy. Glad to have you on the show. Maybe you can start by telling us a bit about your professional and personal journey and how it got you where you are today. Okay, well, um, thanks for having me, first of all. To summarize, I think I've always had
0: a great passion for IT and still have, although I'm not the nerdy type of technology lover. <laughs> and so I was always concerned of you know, what it can do, what it can mean for businesses and for people. And I think this combination for people and IT together is what has driven me, well, for, for most of my career. Made a small switch to education. So I was part of the Dutch National Programme for Computer Science in Secondary Education. So I, you know, was part of the team that created the program. And then I also taught computer science. And my mission there was to get as many girls as I could to choose this because it was an, an optional course. And then I went back to the business life and back to IT to really make things happen then switched to work for Microsoft, did that for a couple of years in several roles, the last one being an EMEA level. And then in 2016, I joined Nextworks as a partner and have been working as an independent and professional keynote speaker
1: for a couple of years now. Okay, fantastic. So one of your areas of focus as a keynote speaker is the employee experience. So maybe as an introduction, maybe can you explain why employee experience is so important? To be honest, I started talking about customer centricity
0: first and that, you know, the fact that companies should not start from their products, but start from the customer's needs at very first. And I think in this battle for the customer, um, it's all about customer experience. So the CX part, and I spend a lot of time talking about that, still do by the way, but you know, this customer experience in the end is delivered by employees And so what I found when I was talking to companies, when I was doing workshops, sometimes they were focused on the customer very much, which is a good thing, but they forgot about the employee. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, the customer experience part won't work either. So I think the two need to go
1: hand in glove if you want to achieve customer centricity. Mm -hmm. So... You talked about customer centricity and then employee centricity, but the link between employee experience and customer experience is not always completely clear because happy employees will almost certainly treat customers better. But there are also examples of companies that do not always treat their employees right. I don't know, like Amazon and its warehouse workers, for instance. But they still offer great customer experiences. So what is your take on that? It's always difficult, isn't it? Because there's also very
0: successful companies that do not provide a good customer experience either. Mm-hmm. True. It's kind of hard because sometimes, you know, most of the times people use the Amazon example um, towards me to, you know, to get the point that it isn't all that important, the employee experience. I think mm-hmm. in the end it is because what companies tend to forget is that you know, there used to be these black boxes where nobody could have a view inside, where basically your brand was painted on the outside. Now, every company has become much more of a glass box where everybody can see through, everybody knows what's going on because people are sharing this massively on social media. The fact that we all know that Amazon has these hardly lousy employee experiences doesn't really help. Mm -hmm. To me, it's not like I want to wipe them away, but if you consider the number of employees working for Amazon... I honestly don't believe that all of them suffer from bad employee experiences. It's kind of a hard one to take on, but I truly believe it's not about happy employees, by the way, either, but it's providing these good employee experiences that keep them engaged in one way or the other, that in the end will improve the customer experience. And, you know, there's always exceptions to the rule, just as I you know, mentioned with companies that are still being successful without providing a good customer experience. You know, on average, though, it still holds that when you have truly engaged employees, that they will deliver a better customer experience.
1: Mm -hmm. The employee experience is also very important for the war for talent. If you want to have the best talent and you're a company that's known for offering a very lousy employee experience, I don't think that you will attract the right talent who will then not do the best things for your customers either.
0: Exactly. And I think this is what companies are now beginning to realize. And I'm saying beginning because there's still a lot of work to do. You know, 90% of businesses claim that they are competing on customer experience. But I think on the employee experience side, they still have a long way to go. They need to mature in that space. And companies tend to forget that you know, that what's going on inside is becoming more and more known to people on the outside. You know, you've got the side of a platform of Glassdoor, which basically is like a trip advisor for people mm-hmm. seeking a new job. And I especially think that with the younger generation, it is much more about having a purposeful experience and aligning your personal purpose to the organization's purpose, having a good employee experience is much more important to them than, for example, having a high salary of extreme bonuses. Mm-hmm. So I think the way people perceive work has changed as well. And companies that don't move along with this new tendency, they will have a hard time attracting and retaining talent.
1: So what are the very basics of employee experience, according to you? You mentioned purpose, and you said that bonus and salary is probably less important than purpose, but what is the very basis? First of all, it's about, similar to the customer experience,
0: you need to design it um, every step of the way. So that means that employee experience is not just about recruitment and onboarding. It is not just about performance management. In my view, it should be about what I call employee sustainability, which basically means that the content of work and the context of work have to be aligned. And so the content of work is really what is the job fit. So that has to do with your competencies, your capabilities. It has to do with what is the job about. It is about the performance. It's about the workload And it's usually about the results. And then the context of work is basically about the culture. So the why, you know, the passion and the purpose in your company, the core values of your company, the collaborative culture, psychological safety, collaboration within teams, communication, autonomy, all of these things, as I'm calling them out, you see there are so many and all of them together make up the employee experience. And I think This is where a lot of companies tend to go wrong. I once conducted a workshop on having the right culture and core values and employee experience. And at the end of the day, the person that I had the intake call with told me, well, I think I got it. We are just going to put a very nice coffee machine on every floor and then we'll have it covered. And (laughs) (laughs) this is not what it's about. You know, it can help, but it's
1: just a tiny, tiny piece of the employee experience. One of the things that's also crucial for the the well-being and, and growth of employees are the KPIs and reward systems. So what do companies get wrong most often here? And what should they do instead? Well, I think
0: if you look at customer centricity and if you think that the customer should be the starting point of everything you do, and you then take a look at KPIs of most organizations, What you see happening is that it's about revenue, it's about profit, it's about number of licenses sold or products sold or what have you. Most of the time, it's not about the customer. So there's already a discrepancy between what they say they do and what they actually do. What you say on the outside should be exactly the same as what you do on the inside. And so the KPIs that you measure your employees on should be related to what you claim to be for your customers. And what I see happening is that with these performance management systems, it becomes something to disable down the employee. It's kind of a stick to hit them with. Mm -hmm. It has now been proven that it's not the thing that makes people tick. It's not the thing that keeps people engaged. And so I think we should be starting to move away. It's not about abandoning KPIs, mind you, but Mm -hmm. measuring people on these KPIs and, putting everything in relation to this, I think is fundamentally wrong. So there is the KPI, which is necessary to keep the company profitable and everything that you have here. But I think it's more important to have something that you can coach your employee on instead of, you know, punish him with if he didn't deliver.
1: Mm -hmm. So what are the right KPIs then? Could you give an example of a better one than the one that you mentioned? Well, I think... What I
0: have seen in companies that I've worked for and companies that I've worked with is that, yes, they will add some customer KPIs, you know, on customer satisfaction, or they would do a customer survey and the average score has to be higher than a particular number or what have you. But what they usually would do is add these KPIs to the complete scorecard, but in the end... They wouldn't take it as a very big thing if you didn't score well in these aspects, as long as your revenue or your profit was good. You know, people wouldn't take notice of it, basically.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I think what's more important, and I've seen a couple of companies that used OKRs instead, you know, objectives and key results. And what I like about that is that it is a tool that enables you to, first of all, provide the objectives together with the employee. So it's sitting down together and decide what are the objectives for you in the coming, let's say, three months. And of course, this has to be related to the company strategy, of course. But what are your three objectives? And what would be the key results for each of these objectives? And for every objective, there would be no more than three to five key results. And I would opt for a maximum of three, by the way. So in total, for the coming three months, that would mean that I would have three objectives and that I would, you know, specify for myself, this is how I would know whether I'm doing well or not, whether I'm, you know, on plan, on target or or not. And then when you have another discussion with your employee, it is related to these objectives and key results. Okay, how is it going? Why are you not reaching it? What is the problem? Where can I help you? This is a much better way of doing this. And I think... It relates to, for example, education as well. KPIs there are just the grades that you get for the tests that you take, but it's never about your learning process. And I think this has to change because employees, if you talk to them from the perspective of objectives, then they will become more engaged. At least most of them will, Mm -hmm. whereas plain and harsh KPIs are most of all demotivating instead of motivating.
1: So you talked about building a great employee experience together with the employee. And employee feedback, obviously, is an important part of that as well. What's the most effective way to gather this feedback, according to you? Okay, let me start by saying
0: how you should not be doing it. (laughs) Okay. It should not be about the yearly employee survey, which everybody has to take and where you take about eight to 10 weeks before coming back with the results and then basically do nothing. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. So this is
0: some of the experiences. And as you can see, it's still kind of something that I view upon as very negative. So I think it needs to be a continuous way of gathering feedback. And there's all kinds of technology out there to help you with that. So there's these apps that will, you know, maybe ask you one single question twice a week There's also algorithms being created, empowered by artificial intelligence that help you, so to speak, feel the temperature of your organization. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think the most important aspect of feedback is that you need to act upon this. And this is what a lot of companies tend to forget. If you ask someone to provide the feedback, let them know beforehand what you will be doing with it. And if you get a lot of feedback and you will not act upon it, then explain them why not. Because otherwise people will not be tempted to give their feedback because, you know, ah nothing's happening with it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think if you get this culture of providing feedback, it helps. And then another thing is if you get a culture established where one of the core values is provide feedback to people directly, but to the person involved first, I believe this is one of the values that Netflix stated is you know if you have anything to say about someone make sure you tell this person first and this is you know related to their integrity value and I think this is very important and if you establish a culture of feedback where people don't feel it as a criticism but as a way for them to improve then I think this will you know greatly contribute and encourage people to give it feedback as well
1: Mm-hmm. So you talked about apps um, that can be used for that. Can you maybe give an example of one of these? So, for example,
0: from the algorithm perspective, I know there is two companies. So one of them is Vibe, and Vibe will take the public channel of Slack. So you know, not the private ones, but the mm-hmm. public one. Mm-hmm. Look for emojis and keywords, and actually kind of aggregate the results and reflect the temperature of the organization or of the teams within the organization. So based on these, whatever it finds on this public communication channel. And then there is another company called KeenCorp, and they do basically the same thing, but then they look at emails. Now, I think in Europe, this is going to be tricky from the Mm -hmm. privacy perspective, Mm -hmm. but they don't really look at the content of the email. At least they say they don't, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they do the same thing. They look for keywords and phrases. They aggregate these results on a team level, and they will let you know what the morale of the team is. So they have what they call a dashboard with a morale meter for each team. Mm -hmm. And what I like about this is that it, truly gives leaders in an organization a sense of what's happening, of, you know, what is the morale within my company? And they can quickly act upon this. Mm -hmm. Whereas in most organizations I've worked with in the past, and most large organizations I visit, you see that there is a long time before really bad morale
1: gets noticed. Mm -hmm. So do these tools give recommendations as well on the basis of the data that they gather of this temperature or is it only really about
0: measurement? Well, they do have some nudges that you can do. So they will provide managers or leaders or however you call them with some things that they could start doing. Mm -hmm. There's other tools as well that if they collect the feedback of the employees, will then provide the manager with some things, some topics to raise in employee interviews. They will also provide them with some recommendations on what type of language to use in order to get the full story there or in order to show empathy if the feedback from employees is that they are not a very (laughs) empathetic person. So I think this is what I think is going to help us big time. But of course, there's also these natural leaders that will do this from themselves. Unfortunately, there are many that are not that um, natural as a leader. Mm
1: -hmm. So you already compared employee experience with customer experience. So what can HR learn from marketing when it comes to building a great employee experience? What can they steal? Well, I think the main thing here is
0: that they need to pay attention in a continuous way basically observe, 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 and whatever way you do this, make sure that you collect data and act upon them. And I think this is crucial. All of the principles that are contributing to a great customer experience apply to a great employee experience as well. So when I give speeches, I talk about the changed human being, and I call out a number of characteristics One of them is that we are very much informed. Well, because of that, you need to provide transparency from a customer experience perspective, but also from an employee experience perspective. So make sure that you are transparent about your company's mission, about the strategic goals that you have, about providing them all the information that they need. But transparency, how people are being rewarded is very important as well. It will create much more accountability within Teams. Because we're so individualistic, it needs to be about personalization, which is, you know, obvious in CX, but it, it applies to employee experience as well. We don't want to be, you know, in a one size fits all company. We want stuff to be personalized to make it easier for us to take care of my purpose and of my capabilities and, that and how I want to learn and grow. And then because we are so impatient, um, I usually talk about the customer experience that you need to be convenient and fast. And I think this is the same for employee experience. So make sure that you provide the technology so that they can do their work in the most convenient way that they can. And then in a fast way as well, so that they have plenty of time to do other stuff that they really like. And then we are very much intuitive, which basically means our intuitive brain is where our emotional part is located. And I think taking into account these emotions is equally important with customers and with employees as well.
1: You were an employee for quite some time at Microsoft, as you mentioned. So what did you learn from your time there about managing and engaging employees? Well, first of all, let me say that I've always worked
0: for Microsoft with a lot of pleasure and excitement because, of course, it was about technology and being a techie lover myself. I loved it to get to know technologies before they were out in the open and things like that. There were lots of possibilities for personal growth, which was very nice with many training facilities, a huge online learning platform. And as I said, always these great new technologies, which I thought was fantastic. But at the time I worked there, this was in the transition period from Steve Ballmer as a CEO to Satya Nadella. Mm-hmm. At the time of Steve Ballmer still being a CEO, it was far too much management by spreadsheet. Yeah. There were balanced scorecards with so many items on them that if you saw them, you thought, well, I will never be able to be a good employee because how <laughs> can you live up to you know, 46 items on your scorecard? <laughs> and in the beginning, the first couple of years, there was also this notion of stack ranking I don't know if you know this, but that is truly Mm -hmm. horrible. So where you would be forced as a manager to have a normal distribution of performance levels within your employees. So you could get a one, which was exceptional, and you could get up to a five. Mm -hmm. They had to have a normal distribution, which means that within your team, you would have to have, if you had a team of 20, you would have to have two people with a one and two with a five. And then a couple with two, a couple with four, and then the rest would be a three, and that would be your normal distribution. But this doesn't make sense. And it had to be within every team, every department, and then it had to roll up into the country, and then it had to roll up into Microsoft worldwide. I thought it was not very human (laughs) to do this. Very, weird. very very weird. And they would be trading numbers as well. So one manager would say, you know, I still need an extra one. Can we trade some fours? When I heard that, it was like cattle or something. Yeah. That was horrible. And that got abandoned very, very quickly. Yeah. And then with Sachin Adela coming, I think the culture has really changed. I think he's a very, very good CEO. He's done a lot of good for Microsoft in general as a business, but on the cultural aspect as well. So he had this growth mindset introduced. You know, he was a very big fan of Carol Dweck's theory. Mm -hmm. And they made the move then from a yearly uh, review to a quarterly performance review. But to be honest, you know, that really didn't change a lot. I mean, the scorecards, there were some less items on there, but still it was all around performing according to KPIs in the very first place. A lot of was being done to listen more to employees, but the core is still around these KPIs. And I truly must say that with most large tech companies and large other companies as well, by the way, this is
1: still um, the case. Mm-hmm. So you have visited many innovative companies all over the world together with the NextWorks Innovation Tours. Which ones understood the importance of employee experience best? Well, my all-time favorite is apples.com. Mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering prior to going
0: whether it would all be true, but we were there for a complete day and I think that they are truly doing very, very well. And so this concept of deliver wow through service you know, everybody breathes this core value. And some others as well, you know, uh, being a little weird is another of their values. And mm-hmm. you could see that the people were indeed a little weird. But I thought that was truly great. So everything that we learned about the company and everything that we saw when we got this tour, and we got an opportunity to talk to a number of the employees, that was really great. If I look at all of the companies that we visited, you know, the problem there is that sometimes during these visits, we get a lot of Talk on the culture,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but we actually can't experience it ourselves. So that was the reason why I called out Zappos because we spent a whole day there and we did get the opportunity to talk to employees. So it's hard to tell. You know, I visited with Facebook, this has a great campus and beautiful restaurants and everything. It looks great, but it's tough to get a chance to take a look from the inside. Mm -hmm. still Facebook is a very highly ranked company if it comes down to best workplace so they must be doing something very very well Mm -hmm. I remember that we also visited with Allbirds and the second time I visited with Allbirds Mark Levy was on board he's the one who built the culture for Airbnb Mm -hmm. I know that he's now left Allbirds but at the time he talked to us and I thought that was just great I think this is a very inspirational guy when it comes down to building a culture visited in China a couple of times, it's tough to get a a view on employee experience because I don't speak the language. And I don't know if I would, if people would be open enough to talk to me. I think they still have a long way to go there. So one anecdote that I wanted to share with you, we visited a company called Future Move and we were there, I think, 15 minutes early and everybody was leaning backwards. And I didn't know what these people were doing, but in fact, they were all taking a nap
1: (laughs) which I thought
0: was really nice to include in your employee experience. (laughs) One of the things that struck me there is that a lot of companies talked about the transition from 996 to 965, which basically meant working from nine to nine, six days a week
1: mm-hmm.
0: to nine to six, five days a week. And I know that at Trip this was being talked about. And so mm-hmm. oh, I wondered, you know, wow, six days a week from nine to nine. That's mm-hmm. what a lot of companies were working. Wow, I didn't know that. So I was glad that they told me, you know, it changed now to nine to six and now five days a week. And I know that at Trip they also told me that they were actively promoting more women into the company. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, there was not much that I could actually see. So, yeah, that's some of the experience from visiting companies. But there's, of course, lousy experiences as well. Like a low cost airline like Ryanair, for example, they have a CEO who's famous for making these customer unfriendly remarks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think their staff is not nice either. The working conditions for these people are lousy. And that's truly a company where you see that a lousy employee experience takes its effect on the customer experience.
1: So you talked a bit about China and the fact that they have a very different culture over there. I remember when I went there as well, that a lot of companies show that they have a highly competitive culture. So they have people competing in the same project against each other. What is your take on that? Is this something that you see happening over here in the West as well? And what do you think that means for the employee experience?
0: You know, it all comes down to not having the excesses there. So if this is such a fierce competition within the company, that might prove to be counterproductive as well. Mm -hmm. I think the culture in China basically is very different. And general culture, I mean, countrywide, not just in businesses, but We are much more starting from us as an individual where they view a team as more important. They are more focused on the group than on the individual level. This is something that we will never evolve towards in the West, in my view.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And therefore, I think competing as fiercely amongst teams will not be viewed as a very good employee experience here. Although I must say that having a nice way of competing would be good where it's not so much about only rewarding those that perform best, but if you put two teams on a certain development, they can learn from each other. And I think that is good, but doing it to say that this is the best team they will get rewarded. And the others are just lousy employees. That's going to prove to be counterproductive. Mm -hmm. It's all a matter of how you present it and how you communicate about it and how you take it a step further uh, once it's done.
1: Mm -hmm. So, Employee experience is, of course, a subject that is extremely relevant in these times of lockdown and of remote working everywhere. So how has the employee experience changed over these past pandemic months, according to you? Yeah, well, of course, we've all
0: had to move online. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm.
0: We're very resistant to this change. I think What you see is that you get a notion, a better notion of how companies trust their employees Mm -hmm. or not. Some exercise a lot of control. I think it was a month into lockdown or maybe even a bit longer. I was visiting with someone and he said, hold on a minute. I have to run upstairs to move my mouse.
1: (laughs) My God. Oh, dear Lord. Yes. He
0: actually told me I was downstairs having lunch then got back behind my computer and I got my manager on the chat saying, where the hell were you? And he said, well, I was having lunch. There's these managers that would exercise a lot of control. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you saw happening. There was also this clear division between organizations that really empathized with their employees and those that did not. So there was these organizations that really had a feel for what the employees needed, that they struggled with this moved to online, they helped them with a new experience. And of course, there were also these great differences in the readiness to start with online in the first place. Now, when I talk to people, some people are really suffering from what they call this impersonal thing about online meetings. It was so efficient and such an effective use of our time, but it got impersonal. So the chit chat was omitted and people really start to sometimes to really feel depressed. Mm-hmm. I think this is something that needs to be taken into account. So the advice on how to have these online meetings and to include the chit-chat moment, to have everybody turn on their video, turn on the sound, to have this feeling of you know being present, I think this is crucial. And then sure. I got the message from one of the managers who said, well, my problem is that my employees' work is not visible to me. And so I asked them the question, well, and then how was it visible before? (laughs) It's all about this command and control that some people feel they had to let go of and were not very comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Those organizations that had great empowerment already with their employees, they didn't suffer at all.
1: So one of the problems that come with working from home is just, like you said, this trust, but also I think that a lot of people... Started working maybe a little bit longer, a little bit more because you're at home and you stay at home, and then it's probably easier to work some longer than when you leave the office and then you have a break and there's a clear break between your and your free time. What would your advice be for companies that want to really maintain a good work life balance for their employees who are in lockdown and who are? Continuously working from
0: home. Yeah, well, I've had that experience a long time ago already. Because of Microsoft, there was this new way of working implemented already. And what I saw, especially with trainees, you know, coming into the company for the first time, they were very prone to have burnouts. Why? Because they never got this sense of I'm done with work for the day. Because we were already working remotely for, you know, two, three days a week. And we would also only come into the office if we had meetings with customers or with the team. And so I experienced there that what I had to do with these trainees, because I was always a mentor of one, was tell them, you know, decide for yourself at a certain time, this is where my working day ends. And I think the same is true for this situation in the pandemic, that you need to define for yourself, these are my working hours, and that you have to leave your computer and then take it up the next day. Mm -hmm. And I think there needs to be some consistency in the rules that are being made up within the teams. Because one of the good things is that everybody can take their own working hours schedule. But then, of course, you need to discuss this in the team. There needs to be openness. You know, when am I going to do this? It's something that you need to take care of, but it's also a positive point because you can tailor your own employee experience because you can adapt it to the time that you feel most comfortable working. But I know that a lot of people are close to burnout because they never stop. This is a challenge, and I think this is something that companies need to discuss um, with their employees.
1: So, you already mentioned earlier that you have a a solid technological background. So, what advice can you give to our listeners about using technology to help employees learn and grow, keep them engaged? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, of course, you can
0: implement technology to make repetitive work easier. And I think any employee will not regard repetitive work as the thing that keeps him or her engaged. Of course, everybody's now implemented these collaboration tools. And I think it's crucial that you have this frequent communication and that you kind of educate your people on how to communicate on these platforms and how to provide feedback very often and in a constructive way. It's also about the organization of work. And I think technology can really help you with that. So it's automating the organizing piece. To give you just an example, if there is a customer and you take note that you have them on the phone and you make some notes and you want to call them back, it's just like, you know, clicking a flag. And in two weeks time, you will be automatically notified that you have to call back this customer. This is such a very straightforward example, but it helps people. And then I think for learning, I think this is the time for companies to get online learning and providing time to their employees to move that forward. And there's already so many platforms out there that you can make use of, or if you are a bigger company, of course, you can create your own. But I think this is crucial. And what I've learned at um, Zappos, which I referred to earlier, is that personal growth Is truly important. And so at Zappos, people would never get a salary raise because they performed well at their job. They would only get that if they had taken courses for their personal growth, Mm -hmm. which I think is a very nice philosophy because they thought if someone grows as a person, this will benefit the company as well. And so their staff could take courses in anything. It didn't have to relate to their current job necessarily. And of course, it was not about knitting to be (laughs) clear, but I mean, it helped them. If they wanted to know about coding, for example, but they would never code, they were still allowed to do that. And if they would invest time in that, it would be rewarded as well. And I think this is intrinsic motivation to prevail there. I think that should be one of the ways that companies take care of this.
1: Mm -hmm. So there are still a lot less women active in the technology sector than men. So if a young woman would ask you how she could make it in this industry, what would you tell her? First
0: of all, I would say to her, go for it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, do
0: this. It's lovely if you can work with technology. So I was still from an age, being quite old, where... (laughs) You know, people would look at me like an alien. I remember being a Windows NT conference in 1996 and there were 400 people there and I was the only woman. So people really looked at me as if I was kind of an alien. But that has changed and you see more and more women there. So the advice that I would give them is make sure you stay close to who you are. So don't change to compete in a race or a rat race if that's where you don't want to be in. So if you stay true to yourself, I think it works best. It's also about staying curious, being open-minded, and sometimes show them that you've got balls too. <laughs> Basically, I think that about sums it up. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is that you stay close to who you are. And talking to my former male colleagues, they always told me that you know meetings were different if there were women in the room. They really thought that it was for the better. So I think. This is something, you are different in general. I must say, you know, this is generalizing a bit, but typically women are better listeners and typically women think longer about stuff. We should take advantage of these differences. And that's where, you know, females should view themselves as being equally important and having equal chances, but basically make sure you're not too uncertain about yourself. You know, view yourself as being worthwhile. I think that's that's crucial.
1: Mm -hmm. So did you ever have the feeling of being undervalued as a a woman in this rather male tech world? And if you did, how did you react to that? (laughs) I've got this small anecdote. When I was 26, I was a consultant
0: and I was sent to Groningen, which was about a two hours drive. And I got there and then I got met by the CEO and he came up to me, shook my hand, said there must be um, some kind of miscommunication. I said, how's that? And he said, well, I asked for an expert. And <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> realized what he said. And then I said, well, sir, I can just turn around and drive back, but you will pay for the travel expenses. <laughs> or you can let me do my stuff and then decide for yourself if I'm the expert you were looking for or not. So he kind of um, stumbled and then I just started doing my work. a half hour or an hour into the meeting, he apologized again. And then we had this great conversation. And ever since he would always wait for me to be available if he needed consultancy. So I think it is not that we are undervalued and it used to be worse than it is now. Sometimes women have to prove themselves more than men, but I think once you have proven yourself, it kind of lasts forever. At least that's what I
1: experienced. Well, that's an empowering note to end our conversation on. So Thank you so much for joining the NextWorks Innovation Talks, Nancy. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you. This was NextWorks Innovation Talks. Thank you so much for
0: joining us and follow us on NextWorks.com if you're hungry for more innovation news and
1: events.